Tommy and I will get started here momentarily, but first, in a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. It's a Sports Fix Thursday, Tommy, by phone. Aaron, somewhere out near where he lives. And I'm here in my studio by myself, as I have been now for about three months. Aaron has been asking Tommy about uh, if it's okay for him to come back. And I've continued to say, no, we're good right now. I miss Aaron being in studio. I really do. I miss Aaron's participation in the show, which we could actually do by conference call, but I think it, we, we, you know, it, it ends up sort of messing with the audio a little bit. But anyway, uh, I think he'll be back soon. I think I'm going to be ready to go for that soon. He'll probably have to wear a mask in here. He'll have to get his temperature taken. There's a place in here to take the temperature, which I did the other day, and I was 96.3, normal. By the way, what happened to 98.6 being normal? Don't you remember? I don't know if... Who told you 96.3 is normal? The machine. And I've, and I've learned that in recent d- days that, you know, somewhere, in fact, I'm going to look it up right now, what a normal temperature is. because I think that's, that's only for cold-hearted people. It could be. I could be cold-hearted. Um, <laughs> the average normal, uh, interesting, normal human body temperature is a typical temperature range found in humans. 97.7 to 99.5 is considered to be normal. So I would be below normal. I don't know if it was if this thermal scanner was correct or not, but that's where I measured in, and it said normal. And by the way, somebody came in right after me, a guy that is actually in the office now and runs this whole office space, and he was like at 96.5, and it said normal. You know, maybe you need a rectal thermometer. I would rather not take my temperature rectally. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, I have to start with a story. we got a lot to get to today. The Drew Brees situation, yes, obviously. Um, I want to tell you um, about watching this Len Bias thing, which I didn't get to on Tuesday night, but I did get to last night. And you put out a tweet, I guess, last night that you have taken quite the pounding on, and we'll get into that as well. But I'm going to start with a story because, you know, we're all sort of um, – we're just out of sync here over the last three and a half months. And over the last week, man, we're, you know, the, 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 the country's in a tizzy right now. And justifiably so. Um, we've, we've talked about this. But I got a text yesterday 
from a friend of mine, Danny Frank. Um, we've mentioned Danny on this show before. Danny lives up in New York. He's a good friend, big listener for many, many years, um, and a big help in many, many ways. And Danny knows what I'm talking about. But Danny's a great guy, and we've hung out and played golf together. And I really like Danny. And he texted me, and he said, will you call me about something? And so I called him back. And for 10 minutes, I'm having a conversation with my friend Danny, or so I thought I was. 10 minutes into the conversation, the other Danny that I was actually talking to said, yeah, well, you know, we've moved to Florida recently. And I said, moved to Florida? You moved to Florida? And he said, yeah, we moved to Florida. And, um, you know, I've got, and he he started to tell me about his kids a little bit. And I said, man, I I knew you had one daughter. I think you got a second daughter. I'm... And then all of a sudden, it occurred to me that I was not talking to my friend Danny Frank. But in fact, I was talking to someone else named Danny, who was in my contact list in my phone, identified as Danny Frank. And so there were a couple of other, you know, subtle clues during the first 10 minutes of the conversation that maybe I should have picked up on, you know. And, and, and finally, I just said, who am I talking to? And the guy said, Danny. And I said, Danny Frank? And he said, no. Uh, Danny, and he gave me his last name, which I'll, uh, I won't mention because I don't want pe- Danny Frank I've mentioned on the show before. And this other Danny's a really good guy, and, and I'll get to that in a moment. And I said, oh, my God. You're not the Danny that I was talking. Oh, I, I know what's, what really got to it. Uh, my fault. I said... So what did you need? Um, what did you mean in the text that you wanted to ask me a question? And he said, what text? And that's when I said, wait a minute, who am I talking to? And so <laughs> to make a long story short, I had two Danny Franks in my contact list with two different phone numbers. And I called back the wrong one. And I called back this other guy, Danny, who was someone I had talked to a year and a half ago, actually about the podcast. Uh, He's a podcast consultant, and I think he had reached out to me, if I recall, really nice guy, and I remembered the conversation. In fact, I've kept a folder of all of the different people that I've had conversations with about the podcast since we launched it, you know, people who really have expertise. And a lot of the advice over the years, especially early on, really helped. And so I said to him, I go, I'm so sorry. I said, how do I know you? And he said, well, you and I talked about a year and a half ago when you launched the podcast. And by the way, I had mentioned that, you know, a couple of things in that first 10 minutes about the podcast. And he was like, yeah, I was listening the other day to you and Tommy. And he said, oh, he's totally on board with, with your feeling about people going out and the virus, you know, spreading and becoming a big problem again. He's on your side. And, and so this is all part of the conversation before I realized it wasn't who I was talking to. And he, <laughs> by the way, he sounded like my friend Danny Frank. There was not that much of a difference between their voices, which was, of course, the big, you know, the big problem there. If he had had a, a distinct voice that was completely different than, than my friends, then uh, I would have noticed. So anyway, as he's going through, you know, who he is, I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. You live in Nashville, right? And he said, I used to live in Nashville. I live in Florida now. 
I said, I, I remember you. We had like two conversations. When was the last time we talked? And he said, well, he goes, I've texted you a few times over the last year and a half. Um, but the last time we talked was like a year and a half ago. So I quickly look at what, what the text chain with this guy is. And, you know, he had texted me. Hold on, I'm going to find it. But, I, like, he had texted me th- uh, during a couple of Redskin games, I think. And um, and I had gotten back to him all the while thinking I'm getting back to my friend Danny Frank. You know, um, was it Redskin games? Hold on. Let me just see. Like, uh uh oh like he texted me at one point any smell ticks uh, smell test picks for today um and i said yeah coming soon um and you know and he would ask every once in a while about the podcast and have different ideas and and um you know uh, and and i would get back to him but there were other tw- uh, texts that he would send that just didn't seem like my friend danny frank and i remember thinking why is Danny sending me, me this text? What's he talking about? And I just wouldn't get back to him. <laughs> this is over like a year and a half. So to make a long story short or shorter, um, I was really, really glad that I caught up with this Danny coincidentally, accidentally, because we ended up having a conversation for about 45 minutes about the podcast world and about all of these things that, you know, he's got some ideas and he listens to the podcast and he enjoys it. And, you know, we're going to stay connected and, and he may even be able to help out in a couple of areas down the road a little bit. But it just... He immediately said, please change me in your phone, and and I had already done that, um, to identify his proper last name. And then finally I called back my friend Danny, and I said, Danny, you and I just talked for about 45 minutes. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I told him the story, and he was like, well, that's ridiculous. Um, What's going on here? You know, only you (laughs) What is going on here? who you're talking to. And Tommy, I swear to God, they sound exactly alike. There is not that much difference. I think at one point I was like, he sounds a little bit different today. Um, but, and, and by the way, the, the first 10 minutes of the conversation, most of it was like, you know, talking about the podcast. And, you know, I think he said, are you doing a podcast today? And I did not do a podcast yesterday, and I apologize. Um, but I told you that there were going to be some times here, especially, um, you know, without sports where we would take a Wednesday off. And we took Wednesday off yesterday. I took Wednesday right. off yesterday. You didn't. You're here on the day you're supposed to be here. But um yeah, that was that was really really strange. That was strange. But you know, we're talking about the podcast and a couple of things that you and I were talking about the other day and and then, you know, he said the Florida thing and I'm like, "Florida? When'd you move to Florida?" And he said something about one of his kids that didn't really seem right. And then I said, I said, well, you, look, you texted me, you asked me, you said you wanted to, to ask me about something. What do you want to ask me about? And that's when he said, well, what do you mean? And even he said, he's like, I got to be honest with you. It was weird that you called me. Like, I, I was happy that you called me and, you know, but I didn't understand why you were calling me. And some of the things that you had said during the course of the conversation didn't really make sense. And I said, well, did you realize at any point that I wasn't talking to the person that I thought I was talking to. And he said, yeah, a little bit, but I wasn't entirely sure. <laughs> anyway, there you go. I don't... It's just unbelievable <laughs> that you would, that you would not, this is because you're basically a runaway train sometimes. I am. You know, you just, you just plow ahead. I do. I and plow I, ahead. And you, you do. And then all of a sudden you realize <laughs> I'm talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was, th- you know, if it had been you, there would have, and, and he had answered, and I, if your name had been Danny, or if his name had been Tom, T H O M, and I had him in there as Lavero, I would have immediately known that I wasn't talking to Tom Lavero. Um, but there really was a, a voice um, similarity. Anyway, uh, it was really good to catch up with you, Danny O. Um, and uh, I appreciated the conversation, and I definitely will be. Uh, getting back to you um, at some point. And I've got your name in my contact list uh, now identified accurately. Um, anyway, uh, God, I'm, I'm contemplating whether or not to tell you why my friend Danny Frank called me to ask my advice on something because it's actually sports-related, Redskins-related. And, yeah, I'll tell you. What the hell? Danny, okay. I don't think Dan, I don't think Danny Frank, my my friend's gonna mind if I tell this story because, hey Danny, if you're listening, Joe's not gonna hear this, he's not gonna hear this, so I'm not gonna tell the the long version of the story. But to make a long story really short, my friend Danny Frank knows Joe Theismann. They become friends. Um, Joe sent him a copy of his new book. By the way, I haven't gotten a copy of Joe's new book. Have you? No, I have not. Um. I would have thought maybe Joe would have sent. You know what? I think I think Joe would send me if I called him up and said, "Will you send me a copy of your book signed?" He of would course do that. he would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Danny got a, a signed book, the Joe Theismann book, and um, and he and he read it, and Theismann said in the book. You know, we went to the Super Bowl in 19, after the 82 season and beat the Dolphins. And in 83, we went 14-2 and two and lost to the Raiders in the Super Bowl. In 84, we made it back to the conference championship game. And, um, and in 85, I broke my leg and my career was over. And, and Danny, you know, hesitates. And I said, well, I know, I know what you're going to ask now. Joe made a mistake in his book, or the editor made a mistake. They, didn't, they weren't in the conference championship game in 1984. They lost a playoff game to Chicago at home following the 84 season. And, and Danny said to me, he said, that's why I'm calling you. You think I should get back to Joe to let him know that the mistake is in the book? And I said, no. No, there are only a few people that will pick up on it. There's nothing he can do about it now anyway. Like, no, no, that's not a big enough thing. Let me tell you something. As a guy who has written 11 books. A lot of mistakes. If you find a mistake in my book, the last thing I want to do is hear from you. Exactly. See, Danny, you just got another unsolicited opinion in this particular situation, but a a much more expert opinion because Tommy is an author and uh, has written many, many books over the years, and they're all available. They're all available. And by the way, (laughs) I would say not only are they all available, but they're all affordable as well. Reasonably priced. <laughs> Reasonably priced. Yeah, I mean, I think my advice Actually, was the right, right, right advice. Yes, the Negro League book is, is very pricey, actually, because it's pretty rare these days. The Negro League Encyclopedia, I, I think that's, look that up on, 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 online. I think that's expensive. Is it really? Are you being serious? Yeah. No, I'm serious. What, why why did you? The Negro, the, the Negro, Negro League Encyclopedia? Yeah. Oh, y- your version of it. The Encyclopedia yeah. of Negro Baseball by Tom Lavero. $11. Yeah. 
That's pretty really? expensive for, a, for one of your books. For a you, for, and that's for a used copy. That's for a used copy right here. I can get it yeah. for 11 bucks, yeah. Or I could just ask yeah. you for a copy. I don't have any more of that. When did you write this book? I don't remember. 2003, 2004, I don't remember. There was a 10-year period where I wrote 11 books, and they all kind of run together. They all kind of run together. Very good. I, 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 I work during the day. I'd go down to my office at 8 o'clock at night and write till midnight every night. I couldn't do that anymore, but I used to do it all the time. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to get to the Drew Brees here thing in a moment. I promise that. Also, um, before we get to that, I actually want to tell you about what I watched last night um, because I just want to spend a minute or two on this, and I want you to weigh in as well because you, you remember this era. Uh, But first, let me tell you about Roman. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you've got questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. If you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com. That's GetRoman.com. And then use my promo code SHEEHAN, S-H-E-E-H-A-N, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com, promo code SHEEHAN, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. So Tuesday night, Tommy, um, ESPN ran four hours of Len Bias programming. Did you know that? Did we talk about that on Tuesday? I forget if we talked about that it was coming we on. We didn't talk about it. I knew they were going to run something uh, up on that night, but uh, I was busy last night, so I wasn't able to see it. Well, it was two nights ago. I, I didn't okay. watch it two nights ago, but I went back and watched it last night. The first hour was actually new content. It was a one-hour Reese Davis-hosted special on Len Bias. Lots of guests. Jay Billis, by the way, wearing a Maryland T-shirt. Scott was a guest. Lefty called in. Brad Doherty was on. Jackie McMullen. uh, Mike Wilbon. Uh, There was some stuff from Dick Vitale in there. And it was really mostly focused on Len Bias' life as a basketball player at at Maryland, and then what would have been. Not much sort of focus around the circumstances of his death. It was, this is how great he was as a college player, and what would have been. And so it was really well done. It was so good to hear Lefty's voice. You know, um, and it's. I'm so glad Lefty, I, I don't know what his current health is, but he sounded great in this interview. I just, you know, hearing his voice for people like me, puts a smile immediately on your vo- uh, on your face like you know Leonard you know, just you know I don't know and I, I just there's just something about lefty that's magical for 
longtime Maryland basketball fans. And Gary, Gary brought us the championship. And I, it's so funny because I love Gary more than anybody. And Gary is one of the great people and one of the great guys, you know, you know, guy's guy that you'll ever meet. I mean, it, 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 you feel the same way. Gary's really Absolutely. a great dude. And, um, you know, when we've, when I've been with him before and we're out playing golf, you know, you can tell sometimes that Gary will be like, Lefty never, you know, I know Lefty was this and he was the first and he brought it, and, but uh, he never won anything. And, you know, Gary's always competitive. And so yeah. we basically have to say, Gary, if there was one game that we had to have, it's not even close. It's you. Like if there was one season, we had to have it. Had to be a contender for the ACC title and, you know, a, a deep run in the tournament. It's you. Like, really and truly, as much as I loved Lefty and he was part of my childhood, Gary's the greatest basketball coach in Maryland basketball history. He, he is. You know, he won a championship. He got to a Final Four. And, yes, Lefty could have gotten to a Final Four had the rules been different and probably would have. You know, if more than one team from the ACC tournament could have gotten in, especially in 74, Maryland and NC State were the two best teams in the country. UCLA you right. know, in the mix, too. So they, they, it would have been hard for them not to make the Final Four that year. Um, but, uh, but Gary is the greatest coach in Maryland basketball history. He has, you know, he's got the, the championship trophy. And... Um, but but anyway, uh, th- that's as an aside. Th- this show was excellent. And Jay Billis telling stories about playing against Bias, about the day that he died, which was a big, you know, is like, this was for my generation, Tommy. This was one of those moments. And, you know, you hate to, you know, like, put Len Bias into the category of a, a, a great president, you know, but everybody talks about that was alive in 63. They remember where they were the day JFK died. You've told us that story before. Um, and for me and a lot of people my age, we'll never forget where we were the day we heard Len Bias died. You know, that was one of those moments. 9-11, one of those moments for sure. Um, but anyway, you know, Billis talked about that. Doherty talked about that, the whole thing. Um Great to hear Lefty, uh, and, you know, Lefty did that. He's done it before he did it with us, you know, where he swears up and down that Len wasn't a drug addict, that this was like a one-time thing. You know, I've I've heard so many stories over the years, but whatever. But just talked about what a great person he was and about – he told us this story. I remember when we did the lunch with a legend that he had to take, he was bias is the only player he ever had to take out of practices because he was just dominating everybody and, and other people couldn't get any work done. They couldn't, he was so much better than everybody else in the practice that he'd have to pull them out of practice or tell Leonard, you know, you, you gotta, you, you gotta take it easy on these guys in practice. By the way, just real quickly, I, I, I had somebody, reach out to me two weeks ago we were talking about bias and I forget what the reason was what would have been the re- oh it was the last dance during the last dance conversations and somebody reached out to me on Twitter and said why do you always refer to bias as Leonard bias and I don't always refer to him as Leonard but whenever I do it's with lefty in mind because lefty referred to bias as Leonard Leonard is a warrior if Leonard Bias ain't all world, I don't know nothing about basketball. 
and he would always refer to him back then as Leonard, primarily. So those of us that were, you know, Maryland students, Maryland fans, you know, it was Lefty was Lefty really was an incredible big figure. You know, in sports back then, and, and in college sports, especially in college basketball in this area. Um, but that's why, you know, occasionally you'll hear us say, you know, Leonard. Because you, if, if you hear somebody call him Lenny or Len, it doesn't mean that they're not familiar with him. But if you, when you hear somebody say and refer to him as Leonard Bias, you know they were there. You know, they were, you know, they were on, you know, in the North Hill, you know, in the North Hill dining room, they were playing, you know, at the armory pickup games in the eighties. All right. They were at all those games at Coldfield house at Coldfield house. And they were, they were big fans of the team and, and and of lefty. But anyway, to make a long story short, which is the theme of the day and with an attempt to do it, God, was he so good. And it's not like I need that show to remind me. The, the constant highlights, in when we've had this conversation in the past, I've said to you, the comparison with Jordan, which Billis made, which all of them made last night, that was like the big, what was he like as, in college? What was he like as a pro? Well, he wasn't Michael Jordan. That's not the comparison. The comparison was Dominique Wilkins. I feel so confident in that being the comp for for Len Bias and his game, for those of you that didn't see him. Jordan was a guard. Bias was a forward. Jordan was a much better ball handler and, by the way, a better defender. Um, but in Bias was a true small forward highlight reel. Like Jordan, outrageous athlete, but, but Bias was 6'8". You know, Jordan was 6'6". Bias wasn't a great ball handler. When you think of Dominique Wilkins, Dominique Wilkins was a human highlight reel, and he was a 25, you know, whatever he was as an average score. Bias would have averaged 25 to 30, you know, a game. He would have been an all-time great at the forward position. Um, He would have developed more to his offensive game as a ball handler and a creator. He was a phenomenal shooter. He, like Durant, you couldn't stop his jump shot because he was 6'8 with a 42-inch vertical leap, and he shot it perfectly with elbow extended, you know, uh, off his fingertips at the very top of the jump and, and the and, and the shooting motion, and you you couldn't check him. No one could get up that high. And the the best comparison to Jordan in terms of attributes was athleticism and competitiveness bias was a badass on the court he was he went out there and took shit for himself like he would not back down to anybody he imposed his physical you know will on people and he was great as a shooter too he would dunk through you and over you he wasn't trying to go around you most of the time he was a power right. dunker in the same way Sean Kemp and and Dominique Wilkins were he would try to dunk it so hard he'd put a, a hole in the in the ground <laughs> the, the the leaping ability on the lob from Keith Gatlin 
he, it was up to the corner of the backboard. It was David Thompson-esque, except Thompson couldn't dunk. You know, the dunk was outlawed, remember, when Thompson was at NC State. And Bias, right. Bias would flush it on big guys like Chris, Chris Washburn and Brad Doherty and Jay Billis. He would dunk it right on their head. And basically their body would be drilled into the floor on the dunk. He dunked on David Robinson in a tournament game. He held David Robinson to two points in the final 17 minutes of a second-round game uh, in Dayton in 1985. Every big game, Bias came through with the exception of one. And that one game was a Sweet 16 game his junior year against Villanova in Birmingham. Villanova would go on to win the national championship that year. That's when they upset Georgetown in the final in Lexington, one of the great upsets in the history of college basketball. Maryland played Villanova on their way to the title. Maryland was higher seeded. Remember, Villanova was, you know, a, a true Cinderella, even though they were out of a big league. They were, you know, they were an eight seed or seven seed or whatever they were. Maryland was the favored team. They were supposed to win the game, and Bias shot four for 13 from the floor and had eight points. It was the worst game in a big game he played in his entire college career. And it sucked because they would have played actually North Carolina in the Elite Eight, who Villanova beat. Um, and that team had a chance to get to the Final Four. None of Bias's teams made it past the Sweet 16. They went to three Sweet 16s. I'm sorry two Sweet 16s, and were eliminated in two second-round games. As a freshman to Akeem Olajuwon and Houston on the way to that final against NC State, uh, to Illinois in his sophomore year, another game in which Maryland was favored to win. Um, that game that game was in Lexington, actually, I think. Yeah, Lexington. And then in Birmingham to Villanova in the Sweet 16 as a junior. And then his final game against UNLV, 31 points, 12 rebounds, an unbelievable final game, uh, which turned out to be the final, you know, organized basketball game he played in his life. Um, they had an eight-point uh, lead against Tarkanian and UNLV in a, in a second-round game to get to the Sweet 16, where I think Maryland would have played Auburn, and they fell apart down the stretch, and uh, and and they they got knocked out of a game that that they were, you know, that that you thought they were favored. It's funny, Tommy. God, as I'm saying that. The, in the tournament, in his final three seasons, two of which he was ACC Player of the Year, they lost three tournament games, all three games they were favored to win. And you know what? That's kind of, as much as I love Lefty, that's kind of the story of Lefty. Yeah, I know. That Maryland so many times was the favorite. They were supposed to be a Final Four team. They were suppo- and, and they always sort of came up short, and they came – they came up short three times as a favorite in uh, in his sophomore, junior, and senior years. And um, anyway, really, I, I recommend it to everybody to watch that that first hour. Then they, they then they showed the Carolina game in '86, the first win in the Dean Dome, and then they had that thirty for thirty on, which I've seen that came out ten years ago uh, without bias. Yeah, um, it, it was nice to see everybody, you know, sort of focus on what he was as a player, you know, rather than the circumstances around his death, which we've all heard that story over and over and over again. And, um, you know, for a whole generation, you know, like my boys have heard me talk about Len Bias forever, you know, and they've seen the highlights, but, you know, they sat, uh, one of them hasn't watched it, the other one's watched it, and he's like, my God, he was such an athlete. 
You know, and when we talk about guys that would translate to today, Bias was 6'8", 210, 215, with, that, with the long arms and the athleticism. He, he wouldn't look that much different today as a small forward. Probably not. It's, it's a shame. Uh, what do you I mean, remember you about imagine him? him? Well, look, I, I was on the news side of uh, working at the Baltimore Sun at the time. And, uh, you know, just show you how you had to really be part of Maryland to immediately recognize the devastation of, of the loss. Uh, I was with a couple of my fellow reporters, and we were all from out of town who had come to work at the Baltimore Sun. And we just were surprised at what a big furor it was, how big of a story it was. Now, we didn't see the big picture was of the, the impact of the, the decade where athletes, you know, besides Len Bias, were, were lost because of overdoses uh, and the whole impact of cocaine and drugs on everybody in, in, in that decade. Uh, there was a bigger story there, and Len, Len Bias, you know, kind of symbolizes that story. But my initial reaction was, this is this is really an overreaction. <laughs> it really right. was. I mean, because but they, you I were mean, but you were new. You were new to the area. Yeah, yeah. I had been here for like two or three years. Yeah. You know, uh, I wasn't a Maryland basketball fan, uh, and we were we were wrong. We were woefully wrong. It was a huge story. I mean, there were a couple of Sun reporters that wrote books based on, on that story. Uh, Fraser Smith wrote a book about, about bias and lefty and, uh, and, you know, the impact it had at Maryland. So uh, we didn't understand the impact, but I certainly have understood it now. And I certainly understand it's one of those moments for people in this area, they, they do remember where they were when they heard it. I, I think it goes beyond just this area. I think that would limit it a little bit too much. I, I think in the sports world, and definitely co- the, the the world of college basketball, it was devastation across the board because he had really become, you know, this this incredible figure in the game because he was an incredible highlight reel, you know, in the sport and in, in, in the, and this is, you know, the age as, as sports center and ESPN's become huge. This is the, by the way, Tommy, for me, the golden era of college basketball, you know, everybody's staying or most of the guys are staying four years. You know, you've got these rivalries, you've got the ACC, the blue blood ACC against, uh, against one of the upstart, uh, the upstart big East, which is turning into a behemoth with George, Georgetown and with Syracuse and St. John's and Villanova. Um, and I think this is the golden era of college basketball. Um, but for sure, this area was devastated by it. And I think you hit on something that was touched on a little bit um, by, by Jay Billis, in fact. And that is that bias became the face for the the drug epidemic, uh, the cocaine epidemic of the 80s. And you know, it prompted lightning speed change legislation. And it was very tough legislation that was passed. You know, legislation that that increased sentences for, you know, possession. And you ended up with a lot of African-Americans spending a lot more time in jail for 
uh, for crimes that probably shouldn't have equaled the sentences that they got. But there was a a fervor in the country, you know, and Nancy Reagan and, and Ronald Reagan. And this was bipartisan, by the way. Everybody wanted tougher drug laws. And it was really the, the legislation that, that was passed, and I forget what the name of the bill was, but it was either 86 or 87, it wasn't that long after he died, um, that you had all of these new laws passed that were passed because of the death of Len Bias. That's what prompted yeah. that conversation and accelerated yeah. that conversation. You're right. And uh, if you ever get around to watching The Wire, uh, it illustrates more than anything how futile the so-called war on drugs was. Right. What a waste of manpower and money it was. Uh, and we still don't. We still are slow in treating uh, drug abuse as a medical pro- as as a medical problem as opposed to a criminal problem. You one other quick thing, as we make the you know long story shorter longer. Um, there was a. a, a piece in there on his mother you know his mother and father lost not only one son but two biases len bias's younger brother jay was killed um in uh in an incident and his mother was just one of the strongest and most eloquent people in the face of that adversity back then that I, i i couldn't believe as a young person how impressive she was and how impressive she continued to be because she ended up having, you know, a life basically as a motivational speaker, which was not surprising at all, you know, because we didn't know who Len Bias's mother was, Lenise Bias, until he died. And then you saw more and more of her and the tragedy that that family went through during, you know, over a four or five, six year period. I forget exactly what year his brother Jay was was murdered, but um, she was just so impressive, always was and always has been. Um, I went to uh, I was at a school in Howard County where she came to speak before the student body and I wrote a column about it. You're right. She was very impressive, and what was what was most startling was realizing the pain that she had went through. Exactly. I mean, that was eye-opening to hear her describe. You know, I mean, you knew about it, but to hear her describe it, uh, it demanded your attention. Well, it also, you it know, did. I didn't know Len Bias. You know, I didn't know him really at all. Maryland's a big school, and, you know, I had interactions with him at times, but I didn't know him really. Um, but everybody that did know him, and I knew people that knew him, you know, sort of well, they always said he's the greatest guy, the kindest, the nicest, the smartest, the, you know, the, and, I, and I know where he was academically at the end of his career, but that, that, that really doesn't indicate that much. Um, but the, uh, you know, I, I remember thinking in the aftermath, you know, as a young person and watching the mother and the father, you know, and in, in understanding, especially as an adult now, I mean, he had, he had, a, he had a great parent set. You know, and and um, it's just it's it would have been it would certainly would have been cool to see what kind of uh, NBA player and what kind of life he would have led. You know, that would have been really neat to see. I think he would have been a great NBA player. I just think he would have been a different 
player than Jordan. All of them last night are convinced that we would have seen the Celtics, you know, maintain their power. That Jordan versus Bias would have become was would have become a huge rivalry, you know. In the well, think uh, about think about play that forward, uh, you know, for a few years later when they've got Reggie Lewis. Yes, I know, and he dies of a heart attack. I know, I know, I know. That was crazy too. I mean, I mean, talk about a franchise that you know. I mean, no one's going to hold a you know a, a, a basically a base sale for the Celtics. I mean, because they had tremendous success, but the success they could have had in the nineties, yeah, with with bias and and and, and Reggie Lewis. My God. One one last thing because I, I I just remembered something. Um, it it was a specific game, and this is really for you all out there that remember this because it was one of my favorite Len Bias moments. His senior day game was against Virginia at Cole, and you know packed house. This is Bias's final game. Bias for me is the greatest player in Maryland basketball history. Juan Dixon obviously was a champion and is the all-time leading scorer, and it's it's a debatable topic for sure. Um, but I think Bias was a better player. It, it's close, I mean, because Dixon was a spectacular college basketball player. But in Bias's senior uh, day game against Virginia at Cole, Virginia had a center named Olden Polynese. Um, who was a good player. He had a, he had an NBA career, I forget how long, but he was in the NBA for several years. And, you know, they had had a game earlier in the year and Polonese had sort of gotten the best of Bias and had sort of mouthed off a little bit. And Bias basically destroyed Polonese in this game. And there's one moment in the game that anybody that was at Cole Fieldhouse or claims to have been at Cole Fieldhouse that day will remember this. Apollonis catches the ball in the middle of the paint, goes up for a little jump hook, and Bias comes out of nowhere, and he takes it, and he screams, get that shit out of here, and he throws it into the fifth row. And it and just stares Polonese down. And, you know, people jump into the middle of it, and it was like the place erupted, but you could hear him yell it. And it was it was pure domination from that point on, and uh, he was he was really really spectacular. I mean, in those four years, to have a guy like that stay for four years, you know, in the in those teams, you know, he played with Adrian Branch and Ben Coleman early, and then his final year was a team that didn't have Branch on it, and it was a little bit lesser of a team around him. But Gatlin was on that team, Jeff Baxter was on that team. Um, and uh, you could see, by the way, it was, it was pretty awesome last night when they showed it. And I've seen this game before, but um, guys like Greg Nard, who was, you know, has been a big guy at Nike, I think, for, for years. Um, Tony Massenberg was on that team. Dave Dickerson, who's been a head coach and an assistant coach, you know, in college hoops forever. Lefty actually produced a pretty good coaching tree, you know, um, at, at when, you know, going back to his early days at Davidson, where Terry Holland, uh, Terry Holland was an assistant. Uh, of lefties before going to UVA. Anyway, uh, watch it. Uh, and if you haven't seen the other stuff, watch that too. For me, the new content was the first hour, and it was it was well done. All right, let's get to – you want to get to your uh, tweet that generated a lot of attention and feedback, or do you want to get to Drew Brees first? Let's get to my tweet first. All right, let's get to your tweet, because you know what? You know who you root for? You. That's right. It's one of my That's favorite right. Tommyisms. I, I root for me. 
All right, let's go. I got lots of friends who helped me too. So tell me, tell me what out. happened. Tell you, you called me last night and I read it, but t- tell tell everybody what the tweet was and what the response was. Well, at one point during the night, and I brought this up to you before. Uh, you know, I brought up to you the fact that every week when there's open locker room in ev- most locker rooms I've been in. Players, you know, there's nobody to be found to talk. They go hide in the trainer's room. You know, that that's pretty much standard. Right. I mean, because they don't really want to talk to the media. Yeah, you've, 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 you've had a problem with that over the years. Well, I pointed out before to you that there was an opportunity there for black athletes who wanted to speak about issues like poverty and race and police brutality. I mean, to, to talk to reporters. Because you've got these guys walking around with microphones looking for anyone to talk to about anything. And so there's, there's a platform and an opportunity there that they don't take advantage of. Right. Every week, in, in every NFL city across the country, this happens. So I pointed out uh, during the height of, of, of the Drew Brees thing, <laughs> where are all the black NFL activists every week in locker rooms where reporters are walking around with microphones begging anyone to talk. They have a platform every week to speak to these important issues. Instead, they hide in the trainer's room. Oh, boy. But it's true. <laughs> and I didn't mean they were the only ones to hide in the trainer's room. The white guys are hiding in the trainer's room, too. You know, there's, that's, that's, that's just what they do. So what I was saying was, Black athletes have an opportunity to speak out that they don't take advantage of. I thought this was a good thing. You know, but, <laughs> no, 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 no. You knew the minute you hit send on this tweet or you click tweet that this would be received with, uh, with that it would have been controversial at the least. Come on. Tell me why. Tell well, me why, though. I'll tell you why. Because you are being critical of black NFL players in a in a very heated, big stakes environment right now. This tweet is so, critical of so black NFL players so, but who want to be allowed? activists. But that's not allowed? That's different. I didn't say that it wasn't allowed. I said that you had to know that this was going to be received in, in a way by some as inappropriate or controversial or not great timing, you had to know that. And the timing was perfect. You're talking <laughs> about the, the issues. Yeah. You're talking, I mean, you're talking about, you know, having a voice, getting your message across. I can't think of a better, when, when, you know, I can't think of a better time to put something like this out. And I guess I still have this ray of hope for humanity that people can digest information reasonably and 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 come to the conclu- and actually comprehend what you're trying to say. And I guys, every time I do that, my my legs are always cut off at the knees. I'm always reminded of the idiocy of humanity every time I do something like that. Well, I and- mean, because nobody heard what I was saying. I mean, for one thing, most of the people have never been in an NFL locker room. And most of the people didn't address the fact that... Did anybody address it that would have been qualified to address it? 
Not until much later in the night. Who? Where uh, uh, some guy who said he covered the Eagles for I don't know who uh, said, uh, you know, and, and who does he talk about? He says he's spoken to Chris Long and Malcolm Jennings, who have been willing to talk about this issue many times. Yeah, the two most outspoken faces of, 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 of these things, Chris Long and Malcolm Jennings. In most NFL locker rooms, there's not those guys. All right. Well, and, so and I, you know, and, and I'm not saying if they don't want to, fine. But I'm just saying there is a platform for them to speak out. I always thought that the players' coalition should have mounted some kind of organized thing where every week in a different NFL city, a member of the coalition held court in the locker room during media day. And spoke to these issues. I think that's a, I think that's a really for, good idea. I think because a, because actually because here's the thing uh, in reading your tweet. First of all, most of those people are actually in the trainer's room for legitimate reasons. Especially no, they're in, not. They're no, especially they, in that sport. They are. Oh, come I talk, on. I talked to two players about your tweet this morning. They um, are hiding. And this from, and, and this and the second thing is, you know, if they are looking for a platform they don't have to choose you they don't have to no, feel they, don't. Co- they don't have to feel comfortable that you're the right platform and in many cases they don't feel comfortable with a lot of the reporters in the in the locker room you know so there are you know you'd have to tell me i know that there are players that would feel comfortable with you and i know that there are players that if you went to them and said hey if there are important issues that aren't football related that you want to, you know, that you want to talk about, use me as a platform. But that's not my job. That's I, not my job. It's I'm just no. I'm, ma- I'm trying to use that. I'm trying. I'm not suggesting that but, you do that. But, but, I'm saying that but you have a relationship. Job, you have a relationship where it's, people no, would. Is, you're going down the wrong path on this. I think you're I'm misinterpreting saying, my they path. They can come. They can come to their conclusion that say, look at all these reporters walking around here. I've got a chance to get this message out to people. I'm go- I'm going to do it. And if they misinterpret it, uh, and, and if they misconstrue it, or if they mess it up, we know that never happens on social media. Social media is such a great platform for comprehensive, intelligent discussion. That never happens on social media. Well, you're right My about coach. that. I would choose you if I were a player over social media. There's no doubt about it. But my point was is that for somebody to to contemplate going public with a message, an activist type of, of, of message, they've got to feel comfortable with the reporter. There has to be some trust with the reporter. And my point was, is I think you actually, with several players, I'm sure, would have that trust. If the players came to you, I think that there's some players that, they, that, that would trust you. I think there are a lot of people in a locker room that the players look at very skeptic, with, with great skepticism. And I don't know that so there would be would, great okay, trust. What's, what's the downside of, of the downside of is the you risk. get it wrong. The downside is it, it, it isn't exactly what they said that they're taken out of context. That the message that they're trying to get across is written about with an opinion as a response that isn't you know doesn't make it what they want it to be. You know that they they could take their message to some sort of. Uh, you know, large gathering event where they're the the speaker and they're speaking directly to people. I, I mean, how many NFL players have that opportunity? Well, they probably. Kevin, this is this 
this this this thing is a it's it's so overblown. In other words, you're telling me NFL players stand right there with Donald Trump when it comes to the lamestream media. They're allies. No, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, I'm saying that they're skeptical of the press. What do you mean okay. that they're that they feel like they're allies with the press? I, I'm maybe I just no, misinterpreted I mean like what you said. Allies with Trump. Trump is saying you can't trust the media. Oh, oh, NFL I'm sorry. Yes, they oh. can't trust the media. Oh, you don't think that there are players in sports and professional sports that don't trust the media? Of course, I think there are. Okay, but for one thing, it's overblown. I mean, there's the mistrust is overblown. But the other thing is, take the risk. Well, again, there may be a different path to getting that message out that they think they're more comfortable with. And, and what is that? I, I just Social gave media? you a couple of examples. I'm not saying that they take advantage of it. And I know what Social you're media. saying. We, 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 we agree that look, social media is no better. No, social media is not. Social media is not. A, a, look, it, too much of this conversation in how many characters now on Twitter? Is it 280? It, 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 tone I is, think it is. Yeah. Tone is so important, and you cannot get tone, and you re, it's really hard to get context in 280 characters or less. You know, one of the Kevin, things. This is, by Kevin, the way, by in, the way, in a locker room, in a locker you don't practice room, what you preach. By the way, this is how, this is how it works in a locker. Room. All you do is tweet and respond oh. to tweets and try to make your case on Twitter. This is how it works in a locker room. Reporter, a reporter walks up to a player who, who's standing in front of his locker room with a microphone or a notebook. And then other reporters follow them because they see, oh, my gosh, somebody's talking. a live player. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's talking. Right. And then pretty soon you've got a half a dozen microphones and notebooks in front of you. What are the chances they're all going to get it wrong? Well, that's I guess I was thinking more or less that you were offering, like, hey, I can get your message out. I've been there. No, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the player the player makes the decision that he's going to speak, yeah. and then the player speaks. Right. It's not my job to walk over to the player and to say, hey, do you want to talk about these issues? Well, the, to answer your question, the odds that everybody gets it wrong are slim and none. The odds that somebody gets it wrong or somebody presents it in a way which is disagreeable with the player, especially if you're talking about a lot of people writing about it, th- those chances are perhaps maybe higher. And there might be some a- anxiety over over that. Look, the other thing too, Tommy, is that to me, that's one of those things where it's the job of the PR department to get the players comfortable that they can utilize this platform of having media in the locker room to get out an important message in some sort of activist message if they want. You know, and, and most PR departments actually don't want that to happen. Of course they don't. Yeah, so... No, no, the, the, the team does not want it to happen. Right. But, I mean, I thought there was this players' coalition throughout the NFL that came out of the Colin Kaepernick thing. Well, look, you did a nice no. job of offering yours and every other reporter's services to anybody that wants to take advantage of it in the future. Well, now, now, <laughs> and, you know, now I, I can't fathom how they wouldn't do it now. 
given this atmosphere, I mean, you know, I mean, any fears, and this is what's put, put to me forth, you know, if they do it, they're going to wind up like Kaepernick. Well, you know, there's not a long line around the block of NFL players who make a lot of money who have been cut because of what they say about social issues. You know, Kaepernick is the, it's the, it's the exception. Of course. It's not the rule. Right. You know? Yes. But, but that was the other thing that was brought up. Oh, they'll lose their jobs. You know, some of these players are guaranteed money. I'm not just talking about quarterbacks. But uh, some of these players in other positions are guaranteed money and have a lot of power as a result. And they're not getting cut no matter what they say. The other thing I would just comment on on your tweet is, and maybe this is just because I know you, and if somebody read it without knowing you, maybe they wouldn't have the same interpretation. But there is some, you know, a bit of, a bit of condescension in this. Where are all the black NFL activists every week in locker rooms where reporters are walking around with microphones begging anyone to talk? I, I can hear your voice. I can, well, I can see you. Of I, course there's condescension. Yeah. So, because so if it's you ridiculous were, that they don't do this. Yeah. Well, you should have offered, if you, had, if you had been less condescending and offered, you know, just officially this platform, maybe it would have been received differently. But I've done that before. You have? I've, I've said that before on social media. You and I have talked about this I, a number of I, times. We, we have. There's no doubt when you, when you told me to check out your tweet, tweet last night, what did I say to you? I said, you've talked about this in the past. Yes. Yeah. And, and oh, my God. Look at all of your responses. You responded. You retweeted. Oh, you! Yeah. I am looking at this right now. You have been consumed with this. Oh, let, my I, God. Some of them I don't let get away. Here's one in particular oh. I didn't let get away. Listen to this. This kid is a sports reporter for the Baltimore Sun. I don't know him from Adam. Okay? Mm-hmm. And late, late last night, he tweets out, this is the same dude that sneered at me in the Orioles press box last year on opening day. We know how you rock, Tom. Now, there's only one little problem with that. You weren't there. I wasn't. I wasn't at the Orioles <laughs> opening day. You know who is this? So, who, so, who is this idiot? I'm not going to out I'm, out out. Was his it name. was it a response or a retweet? It was his. Was a response to what I had written. The, the whole thing about what I had written. You know that my tweet, and basically he says that, and I I point out. You know I wasn't there on opening day. So then he responds, well, the day may oh, not be correct, but the yeah. comment still stays the same. <laughs> and I understand, this is a generation that doesn't really value facts and, and accuracy. Is it, possible well as that another ga- is, it, is it possible that at another game, not opening day, you could have sneered at a young reporter? Well, I could have sneered at anyone. Yeah, it's possible. Know? It's pop, but I was at two Orioles games last year. Well, one of them, and it's... only one in the, and only one of them, I was in the press box. Oh, I know this guy. I know. Really? Yeah, I mean, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how I know him or where I have seen him before. I bet you it, it's at a Maryland game. I bet you it, Maybe it's it at was. a Maryland game. But he, I haven't heard. Well, from I mean, him. he looks and very he familiar. 
You want to talk about condescending and sneering? I'll give you a little bit, buddy. <laughs> uh, the last the last time I heard from him was when I tweeted out, "Does Sam Davis know you're out there making up stuff about former Sun reporters on social media?" Who's Sam Davis? He's the editor in chief of the Baltimore okay. Sun, a guy who I know. He oh, I haven't heard from the kid since then. Well, his he. he he said he won't rip him for libel reasons. Yeah. What, what, God, like, you, like, oh my God! You you I mean, you have no less than than thirty responses and retweets to this stuff. You, you just said to me, "Do you think social media is a great place to play out?" You know, uh, uh no, it's the worst, and you engage in it but, but, all the but, time. But I don't let these people get away with oh, it. Oh, get what do you mean? I'm get away with, get it. away with it? All you're doing is highlighting them. Uh, do you? There's so many times on Twitter, and I don't really read my notifications much anymore. The last year, year and a half, two years, I've just. I will do it when I'm doing the show live more often than not. Sometimes I'll do it if I'm sitting on the toilet at home and just reading through it, and I might respond to a few real quickly. But the dummies and the, 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 those that, you know, we both know this. And sorry for those of you that, you know, you're not going to know who you are anyway because you don't think it's you. I can't believe and, and continue to, to be amazed at how many times somebody will respond to something I said, or you said, or anybody said, but you know, in the shows that I'm on, and they respond with a response that doesn't even come close to addressing something that I actually said. And how many times it's actually in total agreement with what I said, they just heard it differently. You know, so I don't waste my time with those people because, and I'm not going to suggest that they're all dummies. Sometimes you're just not listening closely. Sometimes it's an interpretation issue. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes I didn't make it clear or you didn't make it completely clear, but I don't sit there on Twitter and go back and forth. It's impossible to get through to these people when you do that. I've watched yeah, but you. I like to, I like to shut them down. And, and and when I do, that's a lot of fun. I think you build them uh, up. No, there's a lot of them I, I, I've shut down as well. And, you know, what's interesting was uh, this guy, this guy of all guys. Uh, and here's the funny part. Most of these people still follow me. <laughs> by you the know? way, by the way. I, I, there's th- a guy this... who, who, who just, you know, talked to me about being rude. You know, I'm an old man and all this. And I pointed out, you know, and yet you somehow you still follow me. <laughs> this is the best. What you retweeted just an hour ago. Somebody sent replied to you. Um, I don't know which. I'm not going to. Your response was, "Who insulted who?" Can't imagine why NFL players don't trust you. Try to keep it up. I don't know what that was from, but anyway, somebody re- uh, responded to you. I can imagine why you're an old man who works for the Fox News of newspapers whose current front page runs the following during a race crisis. Exclusive Antifa-planned anti-government insurgency for months, law enforcement and officials say. Um, he says, also, you're rude to other reporters. And you, you retweeted that and said, and yet somehow you follow me. Love you. <laughs> Isn't it worth that little that little moment of fun? 
Uh, by the way, people, wake up. All right. That headline, do some, you may want to read it in some other newspapers like the Wall Street Journal. Uh, but there, wa- there was a lot of Antifa planned in this thing. And there was a lot of other extremist group planning um, in this thing. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about this. I, I don't think we still know anything for sure. But it's not like the Washington Times and Fox News are the only ones reporting this kind of thing. Of course, you're not going to hear it you know, on CNN or MSNBC. But you, pro- you will read it in the Wall Street Journal. Um, that's for sure. Um, good for you, Tommy. You, you keep yourself entertained. I'll tell you what really, what you probably didn't get to today was a couple of those key phone calls because you were, you were engaged this morning here. This is a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. I know. I know. I know. Like, like I said, I'm just not going to let them get away with it. The insult part was, uh, was some, again, another, uh, high school reporter, this time for the Capitol Gazette, uh, basically said, uh, oh, what was it? Okay. Can't imagine why NFL players don't trust you. Uh, and then went on to say, plus athletes don't owe us anything. Anything an athlete shared, you should accept with gratitude. This is a reporter for the Ca- uh, Capitol Gazette. And I responded, isn't there a high school tennis score for you to take? <laughs> <laughs> and, and somebody responded back, you asked another replier to be smart and insightful, which I did, and not throw insults. But then this is how you reply to her. <laughs> And I responded to uh, that person saying, who insulted who? And then I used the quote, can't imagine why NFL players don't trust you. Try and to keep, I told them, try to, try keep, to keep, up. keep up. Yeah. yeah, That's one of your favorite I mean, lines. I, I, look at Kevin. I, I like <laughs> slapping people around. I like, I like crushing ignorance. Well, there's a lot it's of it fun. on social media. There yes, is, there is. There is a lot of it. And here's the thing, Kevin. Yeah. I've lost probably 200 followers in the past week. Uh-huh. And I'll bet you I lost 100 of them because they thought I was too left-wing. And I'll bet you I lost the second 100 because they thought I was too right-wing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. There are people that think I am a right-wing extremist, and there are people that think I'm some sort of lefty progressive. It, it cracks me up. Well... Anyway, um, I uh, let's get to this Drew Brees thing because this isn't very. Yeah. This really hasn't been much of a story for the last twenty four hours. Um, no. First of all, what we're going to do for you here is we are going to play the Drew Brees comments. It was part of a Yahoo Finance interview, um, and it's about you know a couple of minutes, and it's his response to a question. I think it's really important that you hear the question as part of this, um, because the question really does focus in on Colin Kaepernick and what Kaepernick was trying to do a few years ago. And you'll hear, you know, how Drew Brees, you know, leads in a situation like this. So we'll play this for you right now. Everyone is looking back now at Kaepernick's protests from a few years ago, and obviously they were always about police brutality. And now it's coming back to the fore. And a lot of people expect that we will see players kneeling again even when the NFL season starts. I'm curious how you think the NFL will and should respond to that. And, of course, you're such a leader in the league. Uh, What is your responsibility as a leader uh, in times like this for the rest of your teammates and, and players in the league? Well, I, I will. I will never agree with anybody um, 
disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears, thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better. And that we are all part of the solution. So Drew Brees, after he was abs- absolutely lit up pretty much across the board. I mean, I if you're keeping score, it was 95% negative response to Drew Brees and a couple of positive responses. Joe Horn, a former teammate, came to his defense. That was basically it from what I saw. And then this morning on Instagram, Brees actually issued an apology, which we'll get to here in a moment, and I'll read you the apology. But when you saw this last night and you heard this, what was your first reaction? Well, again, my first reaction is twofold. He, he wasn't saying what I think what he wanted to say, uh, and he was going to get killed for it. Uh, and the other thing is something I've contended is that, and now it may not happen, but but when, when the kneeling during the National Anthem was a big thing in the NFL, I had contended and written that the message you and that I these players are trying to send gets lost. Yes. And it gets <clears throat> lost in, in, in the issue of patriotism. Now, you can argue, you can say, and you'd, prob- and you'd be right, that these players are not, pr- are not trying to insult patriotism. Now, that's not the point of what they're doing. The point of what they're doing is basically to protest police brutality and to support Black Lives Matter and, and, and issues like that. I understand that intention, but there are people, there are people who aren't racist who can't get past the issue of doing this during during the national anthem. It, that it, it's a time that for some people it's an important issue. You can rip them for being short-sighted or or not understanding what the players are trying to do, but one of the reasons they can't understand it is because they can't get past the own personal issue of what the anthem means to them. And I'm not talking, I I know, you know, people say, well, you know, there's people going up and getting beers during the anthem. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't take it seriously. But there's some that do. If you've ever been to a police funeral and you see the family being, you know, be presented the folded flag as part of the ceremony. You know, for some of those people, every time they, they see the flag or they hear something like this, this means something different. And you can't say to them, well, you shouldn't be insulted. You can't tell somebody they shouldn't be insulted, even if that's not your intention. But, you know, that, that's 
part of the uh, that was part this look this was a failure the first time around the kneeling during the national anthem it was a failure it gave the president a, an issue it was an abject failure this time i don't think I, I i think the stage would be different i don't think you're going to find the same uh, opposition or 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 conflict of messages but my point was about the the the, the uh Drew Brees thing was I, I point out this is what I said at the time that the messages gets lost uh by some people who don't who who see something else. I don't think that's the case anymore. I, I, I think there's no doubt what the message is now. And while you still may be offended about by it, uh I think everybody understands it. Uh and I don't think Drew Brees is a racist. Do you? Um, there are a couple of things that I've found out after the fact of doing the radio show and talking about this this morning, that he's a big Trump supporter. I didn't know that. Um, but, uh, which by the way, wouldn't, that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't make him a racist and that doesn't change my view as to whether or not he's a racist. I don't think he's a racist at all. Um, but I don't know him like, you know, that's, it's almost an impossible question to answer. I do, however, think the fact that he is a Trump supporter made it much easier for a lot of his teammates to absolutely eviscerate him um, on social media uh, last night and this morning because maybe there was sort of already feelings about his politics in that locker room. Um, But let me me just say a couple of things. First of all, Drew Brees not knowing why Colin Kaepernick – was kneeling, which is essentially he ignored, you know, the reason why he was kneeling and essentially acted as if he didn't know the reason Colin Kaepernick was kneeling is ignorance at the highest level or just complete disingenuousness. Uh, he was he was lying. First of all, he took a knee, uh, took a knee in one of those games in one of those solidarity, you know, games during those things. He was in the middle of this thing. You know, I actually and I said this to a friend of mine after the show called me the, the radio show this morning. I said, "You know, there are a bunch of reveals in here, but one of the biggest reveals is he's not he's not as smart as I thought he was from afar." It was a stupid thing to say. It was a stupid. Thing. I mean, really it was a stupid, stupid comment. I mean, because and, and, the, and whatever he was trying to say, and I don't even know what he was trying to say, but it got lost when he opened up by by talking about disrespecting the flag. Yeah, I mean, decent people not only know what Cap was protesting, but they are for what he was protesting. You know, and to, and to you, uh, to your response, you and I had the same response at the time. I mean, we were doing the show together, I think, at the time. And we had the exact same response. And I beat this into the ground and, and took a pounding from many of you. And, and you really, you know, this is one of those things, too. I mean, you, you got to listen to what I'm saying. And even after this morning, some, some of you uh, that I read briefly on the toilet on Twitter just completely missed the point. Um, I never, never had a problem with Colin Kaepernick protesting or believing in what he believed in and choosing to protest. I knew exactly what he was doing for. I knew it wasn't unpatriotic. I knew it had nothing to do with the flag. I knew it had nothing to do with military or his feeling about the military or veterans. I knew exactly what he was doing. I was paying attention. And by the way, Drew Brees was too. 
But he chose two things that made it problematic for him, and I pointed it out at the time. He chose, first of all, to stage his protest while he was at work. Okay, this is a private business, and as I mentioned many years ago during this thing, and you and I have talked about this, you know, uh, your your right to free speech isn't right doesn't mean that you are free of consequence, and you you chose to do this at work, yes, in a very public setting because of these games and the millions of people that are watching them, but more importantly, you chose to risk the message being clearly communicated by the method you chose. It was predictably very easy, very easy to predict the controversy surrounding the method. The result, by the way, was exactly what you thought it was, Tommy, and what I thought it would be, which is there were too many people that weren't then going to want to listen to what the message was because they immediately thought you were being unpatriotic, even though you weren't. There were too many people that were never going to get past that. And the result was that Colin Kaepernick raised his personal profile more than he raised the profile of the message. Now, some people said, well, what would you have uh, recommended? Well, a lot of different things. There are a lot of ways he could have protested that message that would, that would have made it more about the message. He could have been, uh, you know, he could have done what a lot of activists have done, you know, uh, get large gatherings of like-minded players together and hold press conferences and and do things outside the scope of their of their job outside the scope of bringing in something that's going to mask the message there were other ways where the message would have been completely without any sort of uh influence clearly communicated but that's not what he did and i was never and nor were you, I never thought that he was anti-anthem or anti-veteran, never. I mean, I think anybody that really thought that just wasn't open-minded enough or wasn't listening. But I did know, definitely, that once you knelt and, and, and the perception was you disrespected the flag and the anthem, that some people weren't going to be able to get through that. They weren't. And, and by the way, we were both right. We were both 100% right. Although Drew, yeah. Drew Brees shouldn't have been one of the people that didn't know what Colin Kaepernick was kneeling for. He should, have been, he should have been one of the people that absolutely knew what he's, he was kneeling for because he actually did kneel in one of those games. I bet you he didn't have an idea what he was kneeling for I have when a, Brees did it. I don't, and so, he, he just did it. I don't. Well, because then, then he, well, then he's then, then then that's a problem, Tommy, and and that makes all of the criticism of uh, criticism of him even more justified because it means he didn't care to hear what the reasons were. You know, he was self-absorbed to the point where he had his beliefs. He was just going to go along with it to to get to the game, and he didn't care about the issue of police brutality towards African Americans, and that's wrong. You know, if you were going to take the knee with everybody, then it should have been an honest knee in that moment. But beyond that, yeah. beyond that, for him to act like he didn't know what Colin Kaepernick was protesting when he took that knee is it's bullshit. And ignorance is no defense in that situation. And he wasn't ignorant because he knew it. 
And then you have to say, well, then why did he give the answer that he gave? I can't, I can't explain it. I think he is definitely pro-flag, pro-anthem. And by the way, he's got every right to be that. I am too. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm not open-minded to understand, hey, uh, Colin Kaepernick has a First Amendment right to express his free speech in any way he wants to do it. Doesn't mean it's, he's free of consequence, as, as he found out, too. Um, but I just think it was such a dumb response in so, you know, lacking in, and the, the fact that he responded that way in this environment almost meant like he wasn't even tuned into what was going on, you know, right now and, and the reasons it's going on right now. Uh, anyway, he did apologize. So let's read the apology and, and give our thoughts on this. It's long. Um, it was Instagrammed. Uh, and I'm looking for it. I had it here a moment ago. Here it is. This was him on Instagram early this morning. And you knew he had to apologize. Tommy, I, I, I predicted last night when I started to see the response. And by the way, we haven't gone through the response. The response was overwhelmingly negative from his own teammates. Malcolm Jenkins posted a four-minute video that just eviscerated Drew Brees. Um, He was crying during this, you know, and he, uh, uh, Malcolm Jenkins was. And the, 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 the criticism was overwhelming. A- anyway, and most of you have read all the criticism, cr- criticism at this point. Um, his response to this was uh, on Instagram, and it went like this. I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday. In speaking with some of you, it breaks my heart to know the pain I have caused. In an attempt to talk about respect, unity, and solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem, I made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues we are facing right now as a country. They lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy. Instead, those words have become divisive and hurtful and have misled people into believing that somehow I am an enemy. This could not be further from the truth, and it is not an accurate reflection of my heart or my character. This is where I stand, colon, and he lists where he stands right now. I stand with the black community in the fight against systemic racial injustice and police brutality and support the creation of of real policy change that will make a difference. I condemn the years of oppression that have taken place throughout our black communities and still exist today. I acknowledge that we as Americans, including myself, have not done enough to fight for the equality or to truly understand the struggles and the plight of the black community. I recognize that I am part of the solution and can be a leader for the black community in this movement. I will never know what it's like to be a black man or raise black children in America, but I will work every day to put myself in those shoes and fight for what is right. I have always been an ally, never an enemy. I am sick about the way my comments were perceived yesterday, but I will take full responsibility and accountability. I recognize that I should do less talking and more listening. And when the black community is talking about their pain, we all need to listen. For that, I am very sorry, and I ask your forgiveness. Now, what has been the response to his apology? Have you seen some of this? I've seen some of it. My impression is it's been positive. 
Here are some of the responses, and you know there are some that are positive and some that are not. Booger McFarland, ESPN. I'm sorry for the way that America is crucifying me. I'm not sorry for what I said. Got it. Joe Hayden, cornerback in the NFL. Drew Brees backpedaling better than Deion Sanders, shaking my head. It was never about the flag or the military, but we all know that. Uh, Tim Jennings, we still got questions, Drew. Let's go live with it like you went live when you said it. Um, uh, other NFL uh, players, uh, Will Davis, Drew Brees apology, ain't it? He going to have to say all this on camera to believe him. He backpedaling better than some of the best DBs to ever play the game. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, of criticism saying that it's not enough. My reaction to his apology, I'll go first. My reaction to his apology is, first of all, he had to do it. Secondly, I don't know how this is going to work out in his locker room. I actually think that there was, I thought last night there was a chance he might have to retire. Um, The, um, I think the part where he says the following hit the mark and I'll explain why. When he says, I stand with the black community in the fight against systemic racial injustice and police brutality and support the creation of real policy change that will make a difference. And then he says, I condemn the years of oppression that have taken place throughout our black communities and still exists today. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people have made here, and when I say mistakes, I'm talking about in interpreting what they've been watching um, over the last week and a half that this is all about George Floyd, this is all about police brutality towards African Americans. It's about so much more than that. It is about the inequalities in America for minorities and for black people in particular. This is, you know, Tommy, a lot of this came together, right? Pandemic, you know, unemployment, people, you know, uh, right. quarantined. And then you get another one of these, which we see two to three of these every year, you know, minimum. And there's always a response. Most people who have their eyes open have been aware of this issue for a long time. And most decent people are not for police brutality against, you know, African-Americans. Nobody wants to see this. All right, Tommy, real quickly, just want to mention that if you are listening to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, three, two, one. All right, quick mention before we get to um, something else related to the George Floyd uh, murder. Uh, that if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, rate us and review us. It really helps um, if you haven't done that. If you've already done that, thank you very much. Also, a reminder that you can read Tommy in the Washington Times and you can listen to me on the Team 980 in D.C. If you're outside the market, the Team980.com or the Team980 app. Um, If you're in D.C. uh, on radio on uh, the Team 980 from 6 to 9 a.m. every morning. Um, yesterday, by the way, Keith Ellison, the uh, attorney general who's going to prosecute, uh, prosecute the case in Minnesota, upgraded the charge from third degree to second degree and then charged the other officers with aiding and abetting a second degree murder. Did you see who broke the news, Tommy? No, I didn't. Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar broke the news that the Minnesota attorney general had upped the charge from third degree to second degree on Chauvin and was going to charge the other three officers. 
When's the last time you saw a sitting senator or representative be the, the newsbreaker? Somebody who wants to be vice president. Okay, that's, that's one answer. But, you know, the, the, the effect of that fades pretty quickly. I had another theory when I saw it. My theory was she's floating this out there to see what the reaction's going to be before they go with something official. Because one of the things they could have done is they could have in the moment upped it to first degree premeditated because even if they don't get the guy on first degree at trial, the, 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 the jury could come back and say, but we do have enough for second degree or we do have enough for manslaughter. I, I thought it was really odd that a, a sitting senator from Minnesota, who, by the way, Amy Klobuchar is a big name. She was a candidate for the Democratic nomination. She has been talked about as a potential VP running mate for Biden, although I think what's happened in her state and her track record of not convicting cops um, when she was a prosecuting attorney may doom her on that front. I think you're right. But I, 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 don't, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I, I could be completely wrong. That may be. Uh, Kevin, I'm not sure that a jury can can just yes, they can in Minnesota. Shop. They can. Yeah, I was listening to it no yesterday. Matter. There, there's okay. there is a woman on CNN. Laura Coates is her name. She's the legal expert. She's actually very bright and very good. And it was either her, or I think it was her. It could have been somebody else. I was flipping around, but but uh, they said in the state of Minnesota. If you don't get them on the designated charge, it doesn't mean you lose them. The jury could come back and say there wasn't enough there for second degree, but there is enough there for third degree manslaughter, as uh, an okay. example. Because that, that isn't the case in all jurisdictions. That's right. But they made that yeah, a point okay. yesterday. So, yeah. so anyway, I, I, I was thinking... Maybe she, because it was another two two hours before this guy Keith Ellison took the podium for the official announcement. And by the way, when it was announced, when Klobuchar you know broke the news and it was being reported by every network, um, the reaction pretty much was more favorable than unfavorable. You know, even from the family attorney, he said, we think there's enough there for premeditation, but we've talked to Keith Ellison, the attorney general, and we're comfortable that, you know, he could up that charge again if they've got enough evidence on that. Um, but I, 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 was, I was thinking, maybe she's floating it out there to see what the reaction was. Maybe this is a, 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 uh, you know, a situation of, of Dan Snyder and the Giants coach uh, Jim Fossil. A Jim Fossil situation. <laughs> Let's see what our fans think if Jim Fossil's the coach. Oh, they don't like that. No, no, we were never interested in Fossil. Meantime, Fossil was told to start putting together his coaching staff. Um, I know, I know. Uh, now you know, there's another, there's another avenue uh, that uh, involving police that has come up. You know, uh, it's only been since 1982 where you can't sue police, you can't sue government officials for civil rights issues. I mean, in, years ago, 
that there was not a law against it. But the Supreme Court ruled in 82, I think what they, I forget what they call it, some kind of uh, uh, basically qualified immunity act that basically protects people from being sued, government officials and police officers from being sued on civil rights charges. Uh, and there are legislators that want to get rid of that. But they can be convicted federally for a civil rights offense. Isn't that yeah, one of the that, reasons that the FBI is in? But you're saying that the family can't sue them, that they can't they can't, can't get something in civil court. No. Huh. No, they're protected. You know, and that, that that's interesting. This would if if you want to repeal that, this would be the time to repeal it. I would think there'd be some momentum for that. And uh that might be a huge deterrent for police officers moving forward. One last thing on this. I saw a lot of signs in my neighborhood being put up on telephone poles and trees and different things. And, you know, one of the signs was, you know, Black Lives Matter. And if you want to donate, here's the way you donate. Um, and then the second sign that was being put up around the neighborhood, and I'm sure others of you have seen some of these as well, maybe, um, was essentially the following. And that is... If you are as disturbed by the looting as you are by George Floyd's death, you are part of the problem. And, I, you know, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen and read a lot of that and watched a lot of that. And I don't know why someone would think that. Like what, you can't be emotionally invested in more than one thing? You can't be emotionally invested in this murder being awful. Listen, Kevin, Andrew Sullivan wrote a a story, I think, for New York Magazine about this. And it says, basically, we're all on college campuses now. This is the way college campuses operate. There's only one way of thinking. And anything else that, that that would actually be a different alternative way of thinking about it it's criminal. But I'm not even and talking we, about an alternative way of thinking about the George well, Floyd is, murder. But basically what they're... <laughs> no, they're saying that... I mean, if, 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 you, if you have a problem with, with, with the, the looting, then that problem's on you. Well, that's ridiculous. Well, of course it is. But, I, but the point that I want to make is that why, why would somebody think that you can't be emotionally connected, invested, outraged by more than one thing at the same time. Like, I, I mean, this last... Because there, there, there's no room for alternative well, thoughts. You know what that is an example of? That's an example of a closed mind and lacking intolerant thought. Because it's essentially saying you're only tolerant if you agree with what I say and the way I think. Pinko. Huh. Yeah, well, welcome to this generation that 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 that's, that's dictating terms now. Well, that's I, what that was. That was what Sullivan meant about college campuses. Look, there, there's a debate going on right now uh, among reporters for the New York Times about the article that they printed. It's a column that's printed. Yeah, what was that column? Page. I saw that trending. I never had a chance to get to it. Well, Tom Cotton. Uh, senator from where? Louisiana, I think. Arkansas, right? Uh, Arkansas. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wrote a column that 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 was pretty inflammatory about the use of military force 
on American citizens. Uh, it, it was very inflammatory. Uh, and black uh, reporters at the time were up in arms about it. And, you know, some of them are boycotting their own paper as a result. And, you know, look, old school journalism would tell you that's what the op-ed page is right. for. Right, it's called opinion. Yes. <laughs> and you, you put different opinions on that page. Right, so they're against him having his own opinion. Yes, and, and look, at I think his opinion is horrific. I, I think, he, I, I mean, he's an abhorrent human being to me, and I think his opinion is horrific. But that's, that's the point of the op-ed page. It's just, I just, it just speaks to the notion of, you know, one thought, no other thoughts allowed. Yeah, and um, it, it, what's really what's really striking to me is those that that you know subscribe to the theory of you can't be upset about the unrest, you can't be uh, upset about the mayhem being caused. And by the way, the last few nights have been much better. I think certainly in our city, I think they have been. Um, but um, you know. That, that's 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 absurd. That th- th- that's a natural reaction to, first of all, have empathy for people and for businesses that have been damaged and destroyed. It is only natural, you know, to have that primal sort of feeling of protecting yourself and your family and your property. People can multitask. People can be outraged by George Floyd, invested in trying to make change and be a part of that change, and also say, you know, I don't want people burning down the stores or the pharmacy that I that the, that my mother goes to. And violence breeds violence. And you said something to me the other day, and I, I, you know, and I told you, like, you know, some people believe it's 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 good to make people that aren't invested uncomfortable. Well, the, most of these people are invested. Most of the people agree with the, on these issues. Most of the people absolutely want these officers to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Everybody wants but police I, reform. I, Nobody I, wants racial profiling. Nobody wants, you know, uh, police brutality. But my, but back to my other point, violence is going to be met with violence in this kind of thing. You know, you, you don't don't get fooled by one weak mayor in Minneapolis who told a precinct to, to, to abandon their facility when a bunch of demonstrators came in with torches. You know, pe- pe- people won't stand for it. And I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about everybody. Black people aren't going to stand for it. White people aren't. No one's going to stand for unrest. And, you know, they, they feel both outrage over George Floyd and simultaneous disgust over, you know, what's been happening. You know, restaurants and local stores and pharmacies being destroyed. People can feel emotionally invested in, one, in more than one thing. And to tell people that, that they but can't but is, 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 is a bit over the line. I, I know it is. But the bottom line is the focus should be is right now is... is Stricter police reforms. I mean, agreed. And, and, and look, I don't disagree part, with that. Part part of the reaction is here is you have a president who is in favor of the opposite. Here's the problem, Tommy. Our political process makes it near impossible for a true pragmatist, centrist, moderate to win. 
Someone who solves a problem and governs more on common sense versus party line. Those people can't win general elections because our system is more often than not designed for the far reaches of one of two parties to win primaries and to win party nominations. Moderates can't be honest and win their party's nomination. That's what really frustrates me as someone who I think, you know, is moderate in most of my beliefs. You can't. Well, Kevin, I mean, that, that, that happened on the Republican side. It's slowly happening on the Democratic side. But you have, of, of, that, of that field of candidates, you have the most moderate running for president on the Democrats. You do, but you didn't have a really strong moderate that had a chance. They were dissuaded. Bernie Sanders had to be snuffed out by the party at the end because they didn't think he could win the general election. And I know. So I, I just, I'd love to see us get back to where a true pragmatic could, you know, a true moderate could be elected president. I just feel like we're in this era of the only way to win the nomination is to go to the extremes, and both of the extremes to me are uncomfortable. All right. Well, we just did. Uh, what, what what kind of show did we just do? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm never sure. But guess what? You're going to hear it. Uh, enjoy the yeah. day, uh, and we will be back together on Tuesday. I will be here tomorrow with a guest, a surprise guest. I'm not sure who it's going to be. I have two choices. I put out two feelers, and hopefully one of them will come through. There you go. Uh, have a great day.